Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. On this week's episode, we are talking about the Stone Campbell movement as a part of the Restoration movement. We're going to spend some time talking about the history, not only the historical events that are, are a part of the Stone Campbell movement, but the history of thought. How do we in the Stone Campbell movement read our Bible, and where are we going from here? Uh, Daniel, you've done some reading and reading research on the history and thinking within the Stone Campbell movement. So why don't you get us started? So uh, there are really two places you could start this discussion, and we we may take this conversation in either path, and we'll, we'll see where we go. Stone and Campbell. Right? <laughs> yeah, so sorry. Uh, there are uh, 16 different places. Now, um, I'm really thinking of there is the Restoration Movement, which is sometimes used to refer to the Stone Campbell Movement, a uh, movement that started in the mid-1800s or early 1800s. Um, but sometimes when we talk about the Restoration Movement, we may be talking about uh, any number of different movements that have happened throughout church history. In fact, the Reformation Movement that a lot of us are familiar with, with uh, Martin Luther and John Calvin, that was originally called the Restoration Movement, or that is terminology that Luther used himself. And there have been lots of different movements throughout the history of the church that have tried to restore something about uh, the Christian church. But especially important for us, go ahead, Michael. Well, I, I just really want to quickly say that I think it's a good thing that those of us who consider ourselves as a part of the restoration movement today, see this is not something that just happened within the past 300 years since the ideas of the Enlightenment uh, came, in, came into being, but this is something that has been going on since the beginning of the church, is that we've always been trying to restore, and so we should see our heroes of the faith as those who have tried to do the same thing. That's all. Sure, yeah. Um, it, this movement is carrying on a heritage that existed long before it. Uh, but probably more interesting for us a lot of steam, though. I think that should be pointed out. Um, a lot of steam? Um, I, yeah, yeah, it, I it can... gained a lot of steam just in how the name has been labeled with the the Stone Campbell movement. And there was others involved as well. But just the, the identification of it during that time period really took off. I mean, because you don't see any historical writings of a big movement of restoration. The idea existed, but it wasn't necessarily a movement. And so restoration the concept, yes, it existed. A movement like we uh, saw during the 17, 1800s, that is unique in itself. I'll, I'll push back a little bit, but I mostly agree. There are other distinct movements that happen. And my my church history knowledge is failing me. I think the Moravians is a group that is early on. They have some beliefs that we would think are really good, some beliefs that are kind of weird, but they label themselves as a restoration movement. And then again, if we consider the Reformation movement a restoration movement, that one is obviously extremely important. Um, but yeah, very few movements that are called the Restoration Movement have had such success as the Stone Campbell version or the American Restoration Movement. Um, there are actually some outside of Stone Campbell that are considered part of that American Restoration Movement. But let's talk more about Stone and Campbell. This thing is probably more pertinent to our listeners and to us. Um, so that starts, of course, with two distinct movements happening in the early uh, 1800s, uh, in the early 19th century. 
before the Civil War. One is going on that uh, was started by Thomas Campbell, uh, who's from Scotland, and then later carried on by his son, Alexander Campbell, uh, who a lot of us are a little bit more familiar with. And then there's a different movement going on involving Barton Stone, um, and that's happening mostly in the South or in Kentucky area. I also want to point out with the Campbells that uh, the son, uh, Alexander Campbell, was already had already moved to the uh, the U.S. states, er, you know, early colonies, and so he and his father are independently developing these ideas, and they start talking about it, like, wait, you've been thinking about this too, and Stone also independently. I think that that's what part of the mystery is that all of these things were going on independently. And therefore, they had to have unity movements within the restoration. How do we how do we unify yeah. these different movements? I think you're you're backwards on Stone Campbell. Thomas, Sorry. the father's already there. His son joins him from Scotland later. He has oh, to finish his schooling. But uh, yeah, this this weird thing of the, it's going on in different places. And then there are even other figures, and y'all may know better than me uh, those names that are uh, escaping. Ra- raccoon. Smith. Yeah, uh, John Smith, John Raccoon Smith. And there's a different guy who a lot of people say, that's the guy who came up with the five-finger exercise. Yeah. Um, people say he is just as important in developing the Stone Campbell movement. As Stone Walter Campbell. Scott. Walter Fear, Scott. believe, repent, confess, be baptized. Yeah, and it may even be different life. for him. Yeah, live <laughs> a Christian life, sorry. Um, but anyways, all that to say, they they have to merge these movements and that there's later repercussions for that um but what what else do y'all want to add to the the stone campbell story uh, a, a big part of uh when the restoration movement started uh to um get more uh corporate as far as churches are going in the 40s and 50s uh in the u.s uh, a, uh, a big push, and I, I mentioned this because I took his class, Jimmy Allen, he identified himself as part of the restoration movement, uh, and he said that one of the main things is that the church wanted to be simply known as the church, you know, the universal church. That is not a new uh, idea or concept, but uh, he wanted to also be known as simply a Christian uh, and not necessarily be tied to the name Churches of Christ, even though that is where you're going to uh, find uh, similar beliefs and ideas. Uh, but there was a very strong push for unity within the Restoration Movement, unity on the idea of restoring what was originally there. Uh, and if we can agree on those things, then there are other semantics that we can agree to disagree on without division between them. Yeah, good. Sorry, I know we're about to get into kind of the the biblical interpretation, the theology of uh, the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, but one other piece of history is that if you open up even a secular uh, history uh, textbook, uh, U.S. history specifically, one of the few things that have to do with Churches of Christ that you're going to see in the textbook is when they're talking about the Second Great Awakening, Often the uh, Cane Ridge revival gets specifically mentioned there uh, that what's happening here, this, this unity movement that draws all these people together. I just want to be a Christian is, um, is historical. 
people. It was a part of what was going on in the U.S. as people were coming to Christ around the country, and that was one of the big ways that it was happening. And the reason I bring this up is because there's not necessarily a body of believers that uh, develop that identify their churches still as restorationist. Uh, you don't see the restorationist church, or at least it, if there are those that exist, they're not a huge following that follow that name, the restorationist church. And that's because you see so many times in history about churches or religious groups that um, they actually got their name from a negative connotation, like the Methodists or Protestants in general. If you're identified as a Protestant, that means you are not part of the Anglican or the Catholic Church, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, the Methodists, that name was given to them, uh, I believe, by the Anglican Church. And uh, uh, Lutherans, uh, that was assigned to them. You were followers of Luther. Luther obviously didn't call his uh, his Luther never wanted his followers to be called Lutherans. And similarly, some people call uh, Restoration or Church of Christ people Campbellites, and he never wanted that. And that's it, it never really has caught on that much. Right. Um, the Cameron Revival that Michael mentioned is interesting because it's very charismatic, which is mm -hmm. the complete opposite of the Church of Christ today. But going along with what you're talking about, Stephen, of these uh, name tra trajectories, uh, the the name Christian churches, uh, sometimes also Disciples of Christ, as it is today, that name originates from the Campbell side of things. The northern churches use that because that's where the Campbells are coming from. Um, and then Barton Stone's movement, they adopted the name Churches of Christ. Uh, both of these are biblical names, which is what they were going for. And uh, there was never total agreement about what the uh, what they would call these churches. And it was never a big deal because, like you're saying, Stephen, they, they're not too concerned with the name. It's a, they're all biblical names. Um, but the, that division sticks. Um, as uh, the disciples of Christ stay as mostly Northern churches, Church of Christ are mostly the Southern churches, uh, which also means the Church of Christ are more of the poor churches. Disciples of Christ are more of the wealthier churches, uh, which also means they're more of the churches that have instruments in their services because they can afford them. Uh, but then arguments are made about our instruments, scriptural and so on. Uh, the theology of Stone and Campbell, that does intermingle, and you get weird hybrids in both, um, where Churches of Christ take on some Stoneite, uh, uh, Stoner uh, theologies, and some Campbellite theologies, while the, the Disciples of Christ take on different Campbell and different Stone theologies, which is uh, these interesting uh, amalgams of those two men. So I guess uh, if we want to continue to develop the history of what's going on there, I know we might want to talk a bit more about theology. Uh, so what goes on in the 1800s? You know, for a long time, and this is the way it goes with many movements, as long as your founder is around, it's easier to, to go back and say, hey, what do you think about this? Um, Campbell, uh, C Campbell is, is, is publishing as many people of that day, you know, think of, think about, their publications as their modern day blogs that preachers have or podcasts like this one. Um, so, so uh, Campbell, uh, I want to, uh, it's something with light uh, that I'm forgetting uh, that his, 
his journal is called. Is the Millennial um, Harbinger. The millennial Har Yeah, I was okay. totally, totally off. Um, that's a precursor, you know, so uh, Lipscomb would come around, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later, uh, and he would be one of the founding editors of the Gospel Advocate, which is still around. So, Were you thinking um, of the Lighthouse? The was that publication by Jehovah's Witnesses? Perhaps I'm getting. Yeah, that's not good for me to get those two mixed up. So. You have tainted our podcast. Uh oh. Yeah. So as so Daniel has started to allude to this, that there is a major division that goes on uh, pre and post Civil War. Uh, the Civil War exacerbates this difference. As you can imagine, you're fighting against uh, your brothers, your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this division that happens post-Civil War, after, uh, during Reconstruction, really divides the church. And even before 1906, when you know, the, the final nail in the coffin of that division occurs, um, we have divisions that are coming up based off of doctrinal issues, also because of geographic issues. Uh, to some extent, those, those doctrinal issues are still with us today. Uh, you have not only the, the use of instruments within, uh, for worship purposes, but also uh, missionary societies. Uh, those are the two main ones that I'm thinking of. Uh, do you all know of others that were dividing issues amongst that first split? Those are by far the biggest issues. Um, we should, probably should have started at the top of the podcast by mentioning, actually, Stephen, you did get into this, uh, the theological uh, motivation or mission of the Churches of Christ and of the movement of unity through restoring the New Testament church. So there's two parts to that mission, unity, restoring the New Testament church. And then, so to go along with what you're saying, Michael, that's also where we start to see this divide. One branch starts to emphasize one part of that, this unity. So the disciples of Christ are more uh, liberal in what they include um, to gain that unity, while the Church of Christ uh, start to focus more on this restoring the New Testament church. Uh, both have in mind both things, so that there's just more emphasis on one side or the other. Yeah. And there's a, there's a de-emphasis on tradition. Uh, uh, I say is a big part of the movement is de-emphasizing what uh, the importance of tradition. And I say that uh, we've touched on the different ways that you can interpret scripture. Um, and when we had our episode about the Westland quadrilateral, so the authority of scripture over tradition versus experience and, and reason usually, uh, or I guess reason then experience, but in that order is uh, I, I think what 99.9% of churches of Christ would place uh, uh, the uh, authority of how you would in interpret scripture. And so just the, the scriptural evidence of what we know to be true about the early church takes precedent. Uh, um, and so you have many other religions out there that uh, view their traditions um, and uh, different, uh, well, the Catholic church, for example, they hold the Pope, Pope's word to be infallible, and uh, that is that you don't see in the early church, and so you would not uh, put that into your the foundation of what your movement would be. Yeah. 
So let's let's continue to you know we're doing our uh, we're doing what some people would do over the over the course of an entire quarter, maybe even two uh, of church history. But we're going to move on pretty quickly, and I'll fact check myself on on one issue. So uh, Millennial Harbinger got that right. Um, uh, Stone had his own journal of the Christian Messenger. Uh, so I, I was wrong. Lipscomb was the second editor of the Gospel Advocate. It was Tolbert Fanning who was the first one. He Lipscomb was a student of, of uh, Tolbert Fanning. So let's start moving ahead uh, a little bit. I think we need to hit on two things from basically post-Civil War till probably about uh, the 1950s. So that 100 years there. Um, we have the split uh, that is recognized by the U.S. Census in uh, 1906, where Churches of Christ and Disciples of Christ and the Christian Church uh, are recognized as two separate groups. Of course, we're all members of churches of Christ here. So that's, that's the side um, that our heritage is from. The other part of this is the founding of Christian colleges. Um, you know, Nashville Bible School being the oldest uh, of those. Uh, N.B. Hardman, uh, Freed Hardman uh, is, is also pretty old. But just over that 100-year period, we get these uh, placements, Abilene Christian, uh, Harding's one of the later ones when we think about it that way b- between those four. So, uh, guys, what, what are your, y'all's thoughts on the split and the formation of colleges during that 100-year period? So the split uh, is generally seen as something that this is the first time it is officially recognized by an outside source. But the split had been growing, and most people in the movement already knew we are separate from those other groups. Now, the the Christian colleges is really interesting because obviously a lot of people had problems with that. We already mentioned missionary societies and really just the idea in general of churches being associated with these uh, different parachurch organizations, things that aren't the church, uh, but doing something similar to the church, maybe. Um, I think we're all probably in favor of those sorts of institutions. We think that they do uh, have provide a, a very valuable service. Um, and But well, as we've seen, some of them have failed. Some of them have prospered. So uh, for the record, for any of our listeners who are wondering, none of us go to congregations that use instrumental uh, music within the worship service. That said, that has become decently prominent uh, within some uh, churches of Christ, uh, people that still claim that name. Uh, Let's put that to the side for a second. We talked about missionary societies. Those are huge. You know, churches working together for missions purposes. Um, If if we introduced what is going on now to someone uh, from 200 years ago, they would be shocked that churches of Christ uh, have have gone down that path. Uh, I think about AIM, out of, uh, out of Lubbock, uh, you know, groups that their entire purpose is, is putting out missionaries, getting funding from all sorts of congregations. So there's certainly those who don't cooperate in that way. Uh, but you know, that was the issue at one point in time. Um, and it hasn't necessarily stayed an issue since then. I think maybe back in season one or two, we, uh, when we were talking about different, uh, uh, Christian groups uh, that have, maybe it was when we talked about the origin of Churches of Christ, that the Churches of Christ Institutional, if I'm, is that the correct name? No, that they, 
non-institutional, right. Um, so yeah, they obviously um, believe that any funds church uh, should not uh, go to sponsor uh, non-church uh, 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 functionality. So yeah, they would not uh, give a kid a scholarship to go to a Church of Christ University uh, out of something that was taken in the collection basket. Um, but uh, and we'll probably mention mention them again at the end of the episode. But the Christian Chronicle, who um, we would like to give a shout out to, I think they had an article about um, what what the original purpose of Church of Christ Universities was for, and is it still serving that purpose? That was probably a couple months ago they put that uh, out. But yeah, it was uh, interesting to, why did we have those universities pop up? What were they uh, looking to do uh, as far as, are they strengthening the church? Are they, uh, uh, are they trying to provide a Christian movement into the workforce or help people find their, uh, their significant others? So. What so, Stephen, Stephen, you're bringing you, your interest, introducing a very interesting point that kind of goes back to the founding of, uh, well, the, the restoration. I, I apologize. It's not the founding. It's restoring the New Testament church. Uh, so um, to the extent that the churches, uh, you know, the restoration movement was looking to have autonomous congregations, right, uh, with local pl- plural elders serving as the shepherds, the leaders for each congregation. Um, That has its advantages and its disadvantages, specifically when you're trying to uh, talk about doctrine and uh, the the level of thought that goes into how do we interpret the Bible. And because unlike, you know, the Southern Baptist and the conventions they have, or Stephen, you mentioned the Catholic church and the, um, you know, the, uh, the setup that they have over in the Vatican, we could think about all of the different churches in their centralized structure. Well, if churches of Christ don't have those, how do we get together in order to share ideas and to, um, you know, when, when someone wants to learn a new devotional song, how do we share those with everyone else? Okay, so uh, that is one of the roles that universities play, places of learning where people would come uh, come together for that univeritas, that, uh, that one truth coming together and let's learn, let's talk about these things. So most, if, uh, I believe most of the, uh, schools associated with churches of Christ from the very beginning were minister training schools. How do we prepare ministers to, uh, to, to come up, uh, and to learn something about these ideas that people have been putting together, uh, the way that we think about uh, how how the church should operate. So uh, churches of Christ, uh, if I can say it this way, have for better or for worse used the universities as that central governing or at least a convening body. So you can think about the lectureships as our times to come together and to talk about what what's next, what are we doing within the church. Yet those uh, yet the churches still remain independent and autonomous, and I think right. that's. Uh, I think it's a very good structure for how uh, the church should operate. I'm a little biased, but I think it. No, it's, it's good. I agree. Uh, it's somewhat reflective of the, the U.S. government and uh, the other states of federal you know. system. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about early division uh, 
from the Stone Campbell movement, what the uh, hot ticket items were that caused uh, people to go their separate ways. Uh, where do you see the Churches of Christ? How have they departed from the Stone Campbell movement uh, as of recently? Uh, we already mentioned instrumental music. That uh, is one that some Churches of Christ practice that, that I don't think thing that was practiced by any of the, you know, Churches of Christ within the first 50 years of uh, them being given that name. Um, but what, what other ones would come to mind? So there's certainly a lot of division happening. Well, sorry. Uh, I, I want to backtrack on that a little bit. There's always been a fair amount of division in this movement, despite its, <laughs> its main goal being unity. Uh, we already mentioned Church of Christ versus Disciples of Christ. There were people splitting off from the very beginning who went off yeah. and started other movements we'd be familiar with. Um, their names are escaping me, but other movements coming out of the Second Great Awakening. Um, in fact, if you go to like the Wikipedia page for Restoration or Stone Campbell movement, I, they normally break it up into four different categories. And it has it's super complicated because that's to do with if you're capitalizing the name or making it lowercase. And then you have the non-institutional version of Church of Christ that Stephen already talked about. There's lots of different um, of those splintered groups. But even within the movement, so if we just look at mainline Churches of Christ, you still have uh, conservative-liberal splits, and that's been there for a long time. Um, during the 20th century, in the 1900s, there's been this uh, divide uh, seen as, or even a little bit before that, is the Tennessee church versus the Texas church. Tennessee church, um, a little bit more liberal, has a little bit more money. Um, there's also, for a, for a short time, there's some more influence from Lipscomb, and he has a very uh, sort of radical view um, of Christianity, and that influences, that goes away eventually. But you can still kind of see that today, uh, despite... Um, some of the churches in the DFW area, close to ACU, might be considered more liberal. Texas Christianity is probably a little bit more conservative than your Tennessee Churches of Christ. Um, and so that those splits have their own different ideas. Uh, Michael mentioned already, there's probably more instruments in churches that lean more liberal. Um, there's today, it's becoming a bigger deal in our movement of women's role in the, uh, in worship. Um, our, uh, most churches of Christ historically bar women from speaking in the, uh, in the assembly, but more churches today are considering that and are, uh, letting women be a part of that, um, that service. But what else do y'all have? Well, and I think we'd be missing a big, uh, part of the discussion if we didn't talk about the rebranding that we is really uh, I've used this expression already building up a lot of steam um, with different churches and what we see is when enough of the hot ticket items um, come to be an issue where you've changed enough of your church that um, you are not necessarily part of the norm as far as your belief structure goes with the restoration movement with churches of Christ, that you will take churches of Christ off your name. And then um, you are going to make 
uh, yourself a community church. And so at, at that point, you have Church of Christ roots, and just uh, just like all the different religious groups that Daniel mentioned that have stemmed off of the Restoration Movement, uh, we still have the same roots as these churches, but we have uh, different interpretations about, you know, you could say women's role, instrumental music, how we're taking communion, whatever it might be. Um, what is your view about that type of a division? So for, for the record, we've got about 10 minutes left. I, Stephen, I, I think we need to start with that question. And I guess where we need to go is like, what does it mean to be the Church of Christ today? And so let's start off with Stephen's question. I, I did want to just say, usually, Stephen, before they remove the name, they make it a smaller font size at the bottom. There. They have their noun, and then they have a Church of Christ. So. That is the, the precursor to that step. Yes. But you said, what does it mean to be churches of Christ? I would say, what does it mean to be the church? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten into this argument before. I'll go ahead and throw it back out there, uh, even though listeners could go listen to a previous episode. Um, let's re- reintroduce the idea. I am generally uh, in favor of the idea that church Christ are a denomination um, by certain definitions of the word by most definitions of the word denomination, they would qualify. And as part of that, I don't hold, uh, I don't hold the, the, the legacy of Christianity of the church uh, or its fate in the hands of the churches of Christ. If a, uh, if a church uh, thinking they're doing what's best and we can argue about if what they're doing is best, but if thinking they're what they're doing is best separates them from these other groups uh, from these other congregations that have the name Church of Christ, then sure, it is a matter of expedience to remove the name. That's what you should do. Um, mm-hmm. But I generally favor the Church of Christ. It, it is the fellowship that has nourished me and I think has a, a lot going for it, or at least I, I hope that it does. And so that's why I don't participate with those other congregations. I, I think it would be a challenge for a lot of people that uh, consider themselves to be a part of the church that think that, um, I'll just say it, that the Church of Christ is the only way to get to heaven, to think about what it is about the church that you would rather not fellowship with. Even if it does say Church of Christ on the building, you say, well, they don't do things that uh, scripturally. Think and honestly ask yourself, is everything that we that goes on at my church um, scriptural? Um, because every church is going to have its faults. Now, whether you're openly, you know, committing blasphemy, obviously that is something that is wrong. But if you just don't, uh, you have chosen not to attend a church because you don't like how they conduct their children's worship, um, and you think it can be done better, then you know. Uh, there, there are probably bigger fish to fry, and you need to be honest with yourself about why you're actually not fellowshipping with a uh, different group of believers. Yeah, real, real quick, Stephen, uh, I would point our listeners. I think it was the beginning of season three where we did our rankings of the importance of different uh, doctrines. Stephen, they can thinking? go look it up for themselves. Yeah, no, no, what? Right, you should go look up the episode. And one of the main takeaways I had from that episode was that, um, and I actually did this with my uh, with our men's class at church. 
where I, I put up the list and what I quickly found out is we all disagreed. Even the elders in, in the group disagreed on where you put the mark. And so part of being a part of an autonomous fellowship is realizing that you will not always get your way, even within your own congregation. If you go to a larger fellowship of many different congregations across many geographies, you're not going to agree on everything. And so that doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up for truth. Uh, I will credit my my friend uh, Jeremy Anguish, who recently did a class at our congregation on restoration history. And there was this wonderful graphic that he had of a triangle uh, with God at the top and, you know, church A and church B at the bottom. Like church A and church B can, can get more unified by church B becoming more like church A or church A becoming more like church B. But to truly be unified in the truth, both congregations have to come up to, to be more like God. And so whenever we're having these conversations, and we should have conversations between congregations, uh, obviously I'm not an elder, so I don't know uh, how often that's happening. I'm not a minister, so I'm not at those ministers' lunches. But um, if you're not having conversations with other people, then what are you a part of? Uh, you're part of an isolated group of people who, yes, you're still Christians, but you're you're not you're not a part of the global church if you're not a part of the conversation, Stephen. Yeah, and I thought your graphic was going to go something along the lines of if every person went and found the people that believed exactly what they believed, then we'd have a bunch of churches of just one person, which we know True. is not possible. Um, and um, Church of Crouch. Yeah, that uh, that that whole triangle visual makes me think that this is all the different uh, believers that uh, are trying to follow God uh, and follow His commandments, and then all the and they're a result of all the different divisions. And so, uh, yeah, God being at the top there is because uh, yeah, I wouldn't break it down church A, church B. You got the entire base there is every single believer has a different belief because if you start asking uh, specific questions, it's going to be, you're going to be hard pressed to find somebody that's going to agree with you on every single thing. Yeah. Uh, guys, we got just a few minutes left. Uh, what's the takeaway? You know, what, what's, what's the one thing that you would communicate uh, to a young person who might not have the strong connection with the restoration movement or to an old person uh, that uh, maybe has a longer history here, but hasn't thought about these things as much. Uh, I'll shortly address your thing and I'll say something else. A lot of people have, especially young people in the church, we have a lot of uh, reservations regarding institutional religion in general. If you were raised in Church of Christ, you probably directed at Churches of Christ. Um, I think there's actually, I'm number one of that sort of people. I, I love hating on uh, old institutions, but um, I do think that there is a, a lot that the Church of Christ offer um, and that it needs to uh, be given that second viewing. I do hope that we have another podcast later where we talk about Stone and Campbell even more. But if we don't, viewers should check out the book Reviving the Ancient Faith by Richard Hughes. He is a, a Church of Christ historian and is a fantastic book. You don't have to finish it. Just read the first half. and You'll be good. Uh, I think churches of Christ uh, do something right where uh, often they're being uh, just the whole conservative approach to uh, religion or politics 
you're being you're stuck in your ways and you're not uh, uh, going to be open to change uh, where if the change is wrong and uncalled for then I think it is right to be uh, to to refuse to compromise to something that could uh, or is sinful um, and uh, yeah that's a very big generalization but um, to know that you are doing something right um, and not trying to change it for the, uh, for whatever uh, ill intent uh, that you can think of uh, is something that should be praised that the churches of Christ have done a very good job of course like I said before there are many faults with the church and uh, uh, we're trying to do what we can to follow God's commandments of our mission to bring others to Christ and to be a light to those around us. Yeah. Um, my, my 45 second closing thought is that uh, for anyone who has become disillusioned with your local congregation, uh, be the change that you want to see in the church to quote a non-Christian and, uh, be an Acts 2 church, be a Cambridge Revival church, be a modern uh, congregation that is focusing on in, on unity internally, which, may, which means that uh, you're not looking to leave at the earliest opportunity to uh, go find the, the green grass at the nearest congregation. Uh, don't change uh, all of your doctrinal beliefs because of one small thing that isn't even that big of a deal and you end up going somewhere that doesn't believe any of the other things that you believe. Um, talk with someone before making uh, life-altering decisions. Um, I, I think part of those Stone Campbell movement at its best is having these careful conversations. That's all for our podcast this week. We want to, again, thank the Christian Chronicle uh, for featuring us in their podcast. Uh, for our listeners, go there and listen to some of the other wonderful podcasts there. And we're looking forward to talking with you next week.